It is 107. The snow continues. Chad Hartman, Dave Harrigan, we continue here on CCO. Wolves, uh, they're in action tonight, right, Dave Harrigan? Is that correct? I believe the Wolves are playing. Am I right? Am I wrong? Where are we at? We are the yeah, home we'll of the Wolves. Let me look here real, real quickly. We're about to bring Arnie Carlson into the conversation. I got my handy dandy schedule. Your Timberwolves, yes. Uh, Bill Walton, Terry Porter, Clyde Drexler, and the Portland Trailblazers at Target Center pregame six thirty tap seven ten. The former governor and outstanding interview Arnie Carlson. He's kind enough to join us, as he has many, many times over the years on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Sir, am I talking to you from Minnesota, or are you shrewd as always and you are somewhere warm at this particular time? Well, you're talking to me from from Minnesota because that's where you are, but I'm in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you, you corrected me on how I phrased that, and you are 100%. Correct. Well, I'm glad you're warm in Florida. I want to talk. Well, uh, I miss the snow and sleet. You bet. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, I can hear. I can hear your voice. You're devastated that you're not here. Absolutely. I want to talk uh, Governor Walls' legislature in part one of our interview. Take a pause and get your thoughts because I know you have some strong ones about President Joan Gable to you and her role with uh, securing <laughs> financial. You know what it's like for a second term. Okay, you now see that Governor Walls, decisive victory over Scott Jensen, and he now has the House and Senate within his control. If he reached out to you and asked you for guidance in the first few weeks, what would you tell him to do? What should he emphasize at this particular time? (laughs) Well... On one hand, he's in a marvelous position with a $17 billion surplus. On the other hand, uh, if they decide to play politics with it, it's going to be a catastrophic session and one that will be very harmful to Minnesotans. So my advice to him would be two things. He, he led off with what I thought was an appropriate statement, and that is got to focus on the well-being of the young people. But let's really mean it. I'd like to see the state of Minnesota set aside into an endowment at least one and possibly two billion dollars to encourage innovation and improvement of performance in our K through 12 system. I think it's important that we make sure that we improve outcomes and we improve performance so that all students can graduate and have a meaningful educational experience at the K through 12 level. The second thing I would do is also make a trade off with the University of Minnesota and with higher education. And that is, on one hand, significant reductions in the administrative overhead that is plaguing our students. At the University of Minnesota, the average student pays $1,700 more than the average nationally for administrative costs. That's obscene. And much of it is due to this escalation of salaries. We We have attorneys at the University of Minnesota that make more than the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. We're way out of line, way out of line. Uh, If you go back to when I came into office in 1990 and you go to today, the president of the university has had an increase over 500% in salary. 
And the students have had over 550% increase in tuition. That's not acceptable. I don't think any president of any public university should make more than the president of the United States. So those are two things I would start with. Endowing. They have. <clears throat> okay. Understand. Well, what I want to have... do is create endowments so that okay. the proceeds of them can be used for innovation in K through 12 education and start to, to, to go on the path of reducing tuition at the University of Minnesota so that every student can work their way through school without having to incur student loans. So a smart political mind just uh, sent me this text. I think it's a valid question. <laughs> Governor Walls reached out to Jesse Ventura during the campaign, and he reached out to him afterwards. Did Governor Walls reach out to you during the campaign, and did he reach out to you after? No, uh, I haven't heard from Governor Walls. He and I have been on, on a different side of this water issue. Um, and I, I think it's very harmful to Minnesota. I, I think Minnesota has to have a water plan. It has to protect the water resources it currently has. It has to protect the BWCA, and it has to protect Lake Superior. And uh, frankly, he just won't do it. And so we're, we're very much at odds. So I'm, I'm going to assume that's the reason he doesn't reach out. But I did have endorse thought- him originally, and I also yep. was a contributor. Right. Have you thought about yourself reaching out to him? I did. I, I've, I've written three letters now on, on the water issue, and I haven't heard a response yet. So if, if you will, give him a call and find out what's, what's happening. Well, well, to be honest, sir, he used to come on this show a lot more than he did. So, But I'm, well, I'm but just no, me. I think you're, it's you're, important, you're, seriously. Yeah. Uh, let yeah. me spend a minute on this, Chad. Sure. The state of Minnesota has over 10,000 lakes, and we have this belief that we have an unlimited supply of fresh, clean water. The truth is we don't. Some 58% of our waters are now, uh, quote, impaired, according to the PCA. And that number is sharply rising each and every year. Our consumption of water exceeds the ability to protect it. And if we lose Lake Superior, there is no one in the state of Minnesota that can tell you where we're going to get our drinking water from in five years. This is an immensely serious issue. The university twice has recommended to the state that they embark upon a state water plan. Understand what supplies they have and what supplies are going to be needed in the years ahead. Right now, we're on a, on a path to catastrophe, and you're beginning to see it. Lake Mead in California, that, that whole thing. Uh, is, is going to cause irreparable damage from Colorado to Los Angeles to the whole southwestern region. Some 40 states by 2025 will have serious water shortages, and we may well be one of them. So I'd like to see much more attention being paid on, on water and a little less at, at attention on these international mining conglomerates that seem to have their way uh, in our political system. So let's talk about and remind folks, former Governor Arnold Carlson is our guest. Let's talk about Governor Walls having control of the Senate and the House within his party. Where are areas where the governor should genuinely reach out to Republicans and find ways where they can come together, even though if everybody stays along a partisan line, he does not need their votes? 
Well, I, I think you got to have a have an agreement, and, and and the first agreement is let's focus on public policy. Global warming is not a joke. It's not something that's way down the pike. It's here. It's here right now. And so we need very stringent laws, and they're not Republican or Democrat, but stringent laws that protect our natural resources, particularly in this case, water and air. He's taken good steps towards air, but he hasn't done anything on the water side. The second thing is we keep talking about how we're going to help our children, but the truth of the matter is all we do is create more debt for them. And that's why I, I, I advanced these two programs to reduce tuition at, 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 at our level of higher education so students can work their way through without going into debt. And secondly, to really improve the outcomes in K-12 through education. One of the things I would like to see him do is, is take some of this money and buy off all the debt of these stadiums, but with, with a trade-off agreement. And that is in the city of Minneapolis, where they own a, owe $150 million, take that money and plow it back into the schools with the stipulation of improved performance. But at the same time, also stipulate no more public funding of stadiums. Let's make some hard choices, but I think good public policy translates into good politics. We've had enough politics. Let's focus on good public policy. And focusing on the young, I think, makes a great deal of sense. Let's do this. Let's pause, come back, and talk about another issue that the governor is right in the middle of, a topic we have discussed before, Joan Gable, University of Minnesota president, and her position on the Securian Board of Directors her pay, and why Arnie Carlson believes this is a pay-for-play scheme. This is about the president of the university. We also just found out, and we've been trying to get him on all week, Congressman Dean Phillips, Kevin McCarthy, will go down for a fifth time. Already 11 votes for Representative Donald, so McCarthy can only lose four votes. So Dean Phillips now in a leadership position with the Democrats, Congressman Phillips is with us at 135 on CCO. We're right back with uh, former Governor Arnie Carlson. I read from an AP story. Regent Darren Rocha, University of Minnesota law professor Richard Painter, and Governor Arnie Carlson sent a letter to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the State Attorney General alleging U of M President Joan Gable's position on Securian's financial board is a conflict of interest. The university pays about $4.6 million annually to Securian financial affiliate Minnesota Life to cover life insurance. Now, this news first came out about a month to six weeks ago. The board eventually approved it by a 9-3 vote to allow Gable to join the board and to receive payment of $130,000. She said it, and this is me, I found it very skeptical that she's just going to do this on her lunch break. Yeah, she's going to get paid 130000 to just do it on, on the lunch break. One other item before we go to Arnie on this one. The letter alleges that Gable's position on Securian's board of directors amounts to a pay-for-play scheme since Securian manages more than $1 billion in university retirement accounts, and as I said before, $4.5 million a year for to cover life insurance. Because 
of this position with Securian and her position as president, are you saying, Arnie, that directly she should no longer be the president of the University of Minnesota? Well, I don't think she should occupy both positions. Um, I served as chairman of the board of what is now Columbia Funds, and I'm familiar with the conflicts of interest involved. The one that Joan Gable uh, has picked with Securian is a very blatant conflict of interest. And the most fundamental principle of the conflict of interest is you can't serve two masters at the same time. You can't serve the interests of the employees who invest in the in the uh, retirement funds and then at the same time invest in the provider. Uh, that is a blatant conflict. But there's even a deeper story here, and, and that's the one that bothers me. We, we ask people to come into the University of Minnesota as administrators and as leaders, and we expect them, one, to put in 100% of their time into that effort. And two, we expect them to focus on the well-being of our students, to enrich the faculty and to make sure that our students have a quality ex- educational experience and are prepared to assume a leadership position in our society. And all we have seen from this Board of Regents and from, from Pre- President Gable has been almost an obsessive uh, amount of time being spent on how we make her and administrators more affluent than they currently are. Right now, as you and I are speaking, approximately 40% of students at the University of Minnesota are stressed over whether or not they can afford housing. Another 20% are stressed over whether or not they can afford food. There's no discussion about that. What are we discussing? How a millionaire can make more money. This is absurd. So I think she should make a choice, either decide to serve the students or decide to serve the needs of Securian Financial. And secondly, I would also recommend that we get a new board of regents and that they start to focus on the well-being of our students and reduce the president's pay to that level that we provide for the president of the United States. I think it's stunning that we can have public institutions paying administrators more money than we pay the president of the United States. Okay, so this on the, the border regions, business. you say me? we need a new border regions. Do you believe every single member of the regions no, should there, step there, down? No, there, I, I, I deeply respect the three votes that had the courage to vote no. But after those three votes, I would say yes, they should go. Because their first duty was to the well-being of the university and to the integrity of the university. They did not even ask nor receive a legal opinion outlining what the conflicts of interest were. That's stunning neglect. Time and time again, they have focused on how do we enrich administrators, and time and time again, they have neglected the needs of the students. And, Chad, let's not forget this. And it's something I've written about quite extensively, the number of research scandals at the University of Minnesota. It is stunning. And they have harmed us substantially, the international press, the national press, and in Minnesota. NPR put out a statement some years ago saying, 
what, wh- why do we have all these research scandals at the University of Minnesota? And it's because of poor management and poor oversight. Let's focus on that first before we get into this constant pay raise and, 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 and start to focus on what's really important. We're not doing that now. Last thing, and I'll, and I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, well, U that's of right. M, I'll stay here for four hours discussing this. <laughs> <laughs> the U of M responded to what you and Rosha and Painter offered and said, the process of Gable joining the steering board has been exhaustive and a comprehensive process to ensure that all university policies and laws were followed. What do you say to that? That's absolute nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. First of all, I always thought the president of the university was a full-time job, and it is, and it should be respected as such. And no president of the university should be serving on any board other than a nonprofit. I mean, I, I, I find that stunning that we can spend so much time talking about how we can make a rich person richer and virtually no time talking about the hungry students and the students that are ill-housed. When, when you start out in the 1990s, roughly the tuition was at roughly 2700 Now it's over 15000 In the 1990s, you could work your way through school without any student debt. Now that's an impossibility. The average student graduates with a student debt load of $25,000. So two people get married, they have $50,000 in debt. How in the world? And then they, let's say, they become school teachers. How do they afford to buy a home? But our attention isn't focused on them. Our attention is focused on how do we make a rich woman richer. As always, sir, I appreciate the direct and blunt responses to our question. Enjoy the day in Florida, and you know we'll reach out to you again sometime <laughs> soon. Well, I'm delighted. I think this was very good. I, I appreciate the opportunity to air my concerns. Thank you. Absolutely. Former Governor Arnie Carlson, a fifth vote for Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House, same way the first four. He does not get the votes necessary. What happens next? Third District Congressman Dean Phillips is just minutes away, right from D.C. here on CCO. Chad, I've been back here with you on News Talk 830 WCCO. It is 136. This is rare territory. It is not unprecedented. But we're talking 100 years since something like this happened And we don't know where it's going to end. That's the key part. We don't know how this is going to finish. Kevin McCarthy has been nominated by Republicans five times. Hakeem Jeffries has been nominated five times. Jeffries gets every single vote from the Democrats. Right now, Kevin McCarthy either loses 19 votes or he loses 20 votes And he can only lose four votes and become Speaker of the House. So what happens next? We go to D.C., and 3rd District Congressman Dean Phillips is kind enough to join us. Dean is on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Dean is in even more of a leadership position when this Congress finally convenes. He is now Vice Chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus. He is also Vice Chair of the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee, 
That's part of the reason why, if you've paid attention on TV, that seated right behind Akeem Jeffries has been outgoing majority leader, uh, Steny Hoyer, and Congressman Phillips. Dean, it's always a pleasure. Do you think we are going to see a sixth vote today, uh, or will this be the final vote and they will adjourn and look at this again tomorrow? Well, Chad, I can't speak for my friends across the aisle, but I can tell you that uh, we Democrats uh, will be sticking around here uh, as long as it takes. Uh, It is the most important responsibility uh, of members-elect of the U.S. Congress to select a speaker. And as you well know, uh, there is no U.S. House of Representatives right now. Uh, We're in limbo. And frankly, Chad, it's dangerous. And um, I want people to recognize that should there be an international crisis, a domestic crisis, uh, that requires legislative action, uh, our Congress to function. Right now, we can't. So we will stay here as long as it takes. And I know it's not snowing in Washington, but it is a blizzard of chaos, unfortunately, uh, across the aisle here in the Congress right now. Well, I mean, I guess it's a good point. I shouldn't even call you congressman right now, right? Because no. there, there, it, there is no Congress at this point, and the votes have all been tallied again. Akeem Jeffries gets 212. Kevin McCarthy gets 201. Representative Byron uh, Donalds gets 20. You are a member and a vice chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus. At this point, do you have any interest, and do the Problem Solvers have any interest in working with Kevin McCarthy and potentially voting for him if he would offer Democrats any substantial concessions and opportunities on committees where the Democrats would achieve more power than they normally would while in the minority? So it's a reasonable question, Chad, and that's why we exist, to ensure that uh, reasonable and cool heads prevail uh, in the absence of them far too often. But to answer your question directly, I'm afraid that the distrust uh, of the 20 Republicans who are now refusing to vote for Kevin McCarthy uh, is shared by the Uh, 212 Democrats, Uh, that distrust uh, of which I speak makes it very difficult for me to foresee a way uh, that Kevin McCarthy becomes Speaker of the U.S. House uh, with any Democratic votes. That said, Chad, are there others uh, both sitting, like I said earlier, we're not sworn in. So uh, are there members elect uh, on the Republican side of the aisle, former members, uh, others in the country uh, that could be uh, someone to generate Democratic votes? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, That might be Uh, What ultimately transpires here, it's uh, so little ways away, but uh, we're open to any conversations. And uh, you know me, uh, I want to see this place operate and got to place the country uh, over politics. Okay, so let me try to be specific on this. I'd love to have you name names, but I don't think you're going to. Have other Republicans come to you and the Problem Solvers Caucus and said, if Kevin McCarthy steps away, can we work together, and can you help me in my campaign to get to 218? The answer is no. That has not. Nobody has initiated that conversation. That won't happen uh, until McCarthy supporters, all 201 of them, uh, decide that uh, there is no path and we got to find an alternative. That has not yet occurred, and I think there will be a sixth vote here forthcoming. We just wrapped up the fifth. Uh, and like I said, uh, should those uh, conversations be initiated, initiated, we will be all ears. And uh, there are some remarkable uh, principled conservatives 
who surely a number of Democrats uh, could sit down with and negotiate with and probably comes to ter- come to terms with. Uh, Fred Upton, a recently retired uh, Republican from Michigan. Pete Meyer, uh, who lost his primary uh, in Michigan. Anthony Gonzalez, former member from Ohio. Uh, not to mention uh, current members of Congress who uh, could be principled, worthy, capable uh, uh, speakers of the House. Uh, we'll cross that bridge when and if we come to it, but it takes Republicans uh, to take that first step. And right now it seems like we are quite a ways away from it. It is 142. Dean Phillips is with us. And as we discussed, nobody is a member of Congress right now because everything is hung up and has come to a screeching halt on this uh, vote and these no votes for Kevin McCarthy has, now that you're in a leadership position, Mm -hmm. is Hakeem Jeffries in any way communicating with Kevin McCarthy or is this strictly a conversation for McCarthy within his own party? Right now, it's all McCarthy and his own party. Uh, Yes, uh, our leader, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, has been in communication with uh, Republicans relative to procedural votes and uh, uh, scheduling and the like, but uh, those are the only conversations uh, so far. Uh, But I have to say, Chad, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there is growing concern amongst uh, certainly all the Democrats, and I think that a growing number of Republicans that uh, you know, this is dangerous territory. It's been over 100 years since we faced this type of uh, dysfunction. Uh, you know, as well as I do, as well as every listener, that it is the job of the majority to choose the leader. Uh, the absence of that ability is, uh, has significant consequences and repercussions uh, should a crisis present itself while the House is in disarray. And as you said earlier, Absolutely. there is no United States House of Representatives right now, Chad. There is no sworn member of the U.S. House. Every one of us here right now casting these votes is a member-elect without an institution, without a formal body, without organization, and without leadership. Uh, And it is a grave and growing concern uh, that I really do hope uh, my Republican friends uh, can figure out quickly, because uh, uh, this is not in our country's best interest by any way, shape, or form. Dean Phillips with us here on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline for... The hardliners who you don't vote with, I'm sure some you talk to, some you don't talk to. Do you believe they have a certain name in mind and they are waiting for McCarthy to say, I don't have the votes, and then they will push that particular person? Are they sitting on someone right now, uh, Gates and Perry and others and feel like once McCarthy steps by, we're going to offer up person A, and they feel like person A could get to 218. Well, Chad, right now, that person is Byron Donalds, uh, who is a freshman member of Congress from Florida uh, uh, that they have nominated. 20 uh, Republicans have voted for. Uh, I can say, because just moments ago with an earshot, uh, uh, one of the 20 insurgents, if you will, Uh, said out loud uh, for many others to hear that we will negotiate with anybody not named McCarthy. So I think that writing is on the wall, clearly. Uh, Byron Donalds right now is their guy. Uh, Yesterday it was Jim Jordan. Uh, I don't believe, based on the evidence that we can see so far, that they have another name in mind. Uh, But it does appear to be anybody but Kevin McCarthy. Uh, It's their job to figure that out. And I have to say another thing, Chad. Uh, If anybody had the time to watch Chip Roy... Uh, make remarks on the House floor relative to his demands uh, and his disappointments about how the House operates, I think they're compelling. 
Uh, Chip and I don't see things often the same way, although we did our the first bill I passed in the law, signed by Donald Trump, was in partnership with Chip Roy, so we are friends. Uh, but his remarks are worth watching about how he wants to see the House function, about trust, I agree. about regular yep. order, about debate, deliberation, things you and I agree on, I think, too, and most listeners would as well. So I don't want to cast these 20 uh, as being misguided as it relates to some of the real core challenges that this Congress faces. And I hope that everybody, Democrats and Republicans, future leaders and current leaders, are listening because uh, there's there's some nuggets of truth in some of these statements that I think we should um, – Take to heart. A couple last questions to let you go. Is it fair for me to say, following this interview, and you can amplify it and make it clear right now, that you do not believe Kevin McCarthy will be the next Speaker of the House? I, I would be extraordinarily surprised based on what I'm seeing, uh, what I'm sensing, uh, and what I'm hearing from my many friends across the aisle. Uh, by the way, I should say the McCarthy uh, the 201 McCarthy supporters are very, very committed McCarthy supporters. But the 20 non-McCarthy supporters uh, are just as hardened. So at some point, uh, we've got to be pragmatic. When I say we, my Republican friends have got to be pragmatic and recognize if there is no path, this is not about a person. This is about uh, a country, and they have got to make a decision and find a consensus candidate themselves uh, who they can nominate uh, and ultimately ascend to the speakership, because this cannot go on for long without great consequence to the country. My last question, I think, is my most important one. For, for, for people who care about this, but most importantly, care about Congress and every day and getting bills passed and making this country as good as it can be, when they look at these two days and see this incredible dysfunction, why should they be optimistic about what Congress, when it's eventually seated, because eventually we will get a speaker, why should they be optimistic and believe that we will make significant progress against the many problems and enhance the many assets and make our country better when they look at Congress and they can't even galvanize and pick one person to lead this body, which is essential to our country. Well, Chad, I, you know, I think this is a moment in our nation's history in which we are ripping off the Band-Aid, if you will, uh, which has been covering up wounds that have been untreated and unaddressed, uh, unrectified for, for decades, uh, if not centuries. And the truth of the matter is our democracy right now is actually functioning the way that the founders intended. Is it messy? Damn right it is. Uh, is it complicated, nonlinear, uh, slow and frustrating. Yes, it is. But I do think at the end of the day, uh, America will be well served by this. I think some of Chip Roy's comments about how Congress should function should be heeded by both sides of the aisle. And I, I implore that listeners recognize that some strange events have happened in just the past 24 hours. Uh, in Ohio, uh, Democrats and Republicans actually worked together uh, to elect uh, a speaker, I believe, in, in their house. Uh, that was somewhat of a unity candidate. There is a, a perspective that I want to share that I think is important and that we may have, I hope we've hit rock bottom as it relates to division in this country. I think Americans are starting to recognize the consequences of that division, uh, of that uh, blind loyalty to party and to certain politicians. And there might be a little change afoot. And even in conversations with my Republican colleagues uh, today and yesterday uh, relative to the future, 
I'm sensing at least a little crack in the door uh, that I hope we make wide open soon uh, of working together in a more meaningful, functional uh, and, and honorable fashion. And that's my hope. So I ask people to keep the faith and there's still no country in the world in which I would rather live, no system of governance in which I would rather be participating than this one. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's sure the best uh, ever created. Uh, and we will do the hard work to improve it. I promise you that. I know your uh, schedule is extraordinarily busy, so I greatly appreciate your time. We'll be paying close attention. Thanks again, and we'll uh, reach out soon. Thank you, Chad. Take care. Third District Congressman, well, eventually Third District Congressman Dean Phillips, because nobody, there is no Congress right now, because if you just join us for the fifth time, Kevin McCarthy does not garner the necessary 218 votes. Jeffries with 212, McCarthy with 201, Byron Donalds with 20, and one uh, representative, Representative Victoria Sparts of Indiana, a Republican who had voted for McCarthy before, voted present. lot from Dean Phillips, a lot from Arnie Carlson. Let's react when we come back here on CCL. Among the uh, texts, just a reminder, yes, you can have someone outside of Congress as Speaker of the House. Someone suggesting it's the Democrats who are holding up the process. At some point, the Democrats certain, certainly can play a part in this, but when you're the majority, you're the party that needs to elect the Speaker of the House. Come on. So at some point, could a Republican... Come to Dean Phillips and the problem solvers, more the moderates? Yes. But to be blaming the Democrats right now is rather delusional. Arnie Carlson, let's not let that slide by. Arnie Carlson saying enough is enough. Pay to play with the president of the University of Minnesota that she immediately has to step down as either president or from the securing board position where she's getting paid $130,000 and also adding that the nine individuals who are on the Board of Regents who voted in favor of this, they have to go. They can't do their job, and they should step down immediately. So you got Dean Phillips on the floor when we don't have a Congress, and he's 100% right. If a crisis took place right now, we don't have a Congress. We don't have a full government in play. Don't forget that. And Arnie Carlson, as usual, not shy in calling out the university. By the way, also calling out Tim Walls. Linus Construction Time Check. Time for us to go this hour. Any insulation issues, where to go? Andy Lindis and Linus Construction.